Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number 70, where we are a week away from the halvening. You. you. I'm your first host, Cello. And I'm host number two, D. You. Host number three, Corey. You. 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 That's our new thing that we do. Like oh, how's it going, guys? Yeah, yeah. Good. Good. Uh, it's, it's, it's going pretty good, man. Uh, so I'm really good to sit here a week away from this moon rocket launch, which, um, I hope is not as, uh, anticlimactic as the Litecoin happening. Cause I felt like, you know, it was just, remember when we went to go see that first awful Hulk movie? I, I do remember. And we sat there and waited an hour and a half for Bruce Banner to turn into the Hulk. And then the fucking movie theater broke right before he yeah. turned into the Hulk. Yep. That's what watching the Litecoin happening was like. It was like, oh, here it comes the whole reason. The whole reason I'm here to see this movie is to see the Incredible Hulk transformation. Yes. And then nothing happens. Wah, wah. And you're like, what? That was stupid. <laughs> so I hope it's not like the Litecoin happening. But. I also don't want it to get like two bananas. Uh, so, but I'm really excited, man. We're going down. The, it's not like I should be too excited because I'm not a miner or anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited to see what this kind of predictable, uh, predictability of supply. Uh, I don't know the big fancy words I'm trying to put together, but. We now know, like, you know that how many Bitcoin are going to be entering the circulation. And it's interesting to see what this is going to do to the price and the economics of things. So, well, let's, um, let's, let's plug our sponsor and talk about it a little bit. Cool. Uh, so this episode, just like all the other episodes, were brought to you by escrowmybits.com. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Okay. Uh, it's, it's fast and super easy, and it only takes three steps. Three. All you have to do is register. And deposit that Bitcoin, and then the seller will ship the item. The buyer will check the goods, and then that is when the funds get released. And they also offer Bitcoin escrow with a locked exchange rate. Uh, they charge a small flat escrow fee of 1% on all transactions, and they even offer you the ability to split the fee with the other party. Uh, escrow My Bits was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around, um, and we want you to use them. So start the escrow process, go to their website, and make sure you sign up for their newsletter. Stay up to date on all that shit. With Escrow my bits. Escrow your bits with Escrow. Escrow my bits. Escrow your shit. There you go. Escrow. Oh, yeah. What did you say? Like, go ahead. No, you go ahead. What's up? I was just, you never explained what Escrow is. And, uh. That's, that's true. It's really simple. It's somebody make sure the transaction goes through. So kind of like the money is hovering in place and then a third party checks and they're like, yes, that transaction 
is valid. Kind of like a notary. I mean, they just yeah, watch like the a, transaction. Like, hey, D, Brooke Burke was never on the cover of Playboy. And you're like, yeah, she was. She and then was. we take our money and we give it to Corey. And when we hand the money to Corey. And then when the bet is decided, then he gives the money. Yep. And she was. And you still owe me money. But we're going to let that ride. Did y'all actually bet on that? A long time ago. We were little kids. and It doesn't matter. Bet's a bet. You need to pay up. We did bet. We bet $50. And we were kids, and I said, "Dude, that's a lot of money back then." Hell yeah, that's what man. I'm saying. That's why I'm not paying them. This shit's a lot of money now. <laughs> Dude, I was confident. Right. I was good I was to a, know. Don't get in bets with Marcello. He just won't pay you. Yeah, I was. Like, I, this was literally what fourth grade. <laughs> it was like middle school. It was at least sixth grade. Cool. It was at least sixth grade because I remember like hardcore. I was a hardcore Bergman for the for the people out there. There was a thing called Wild On. It came on the E channel where Brooke Burke's fine ass would just host you and take you around different party spots of the world. And I was probably up too late, but man, she was fly. And so I heard when she was on Playboy, I saw the Playboy and then Cello was like, Brooke Burke's never been in Playboy. And I was like, hell yeah, she has. I bet you 50 bucks. And long story short, I've never been paid. So, <laughs> well, I mean, admittedly, my Playboy knowledge at 11 wasn't as strong. <laughs> you know, up your game, bro. Why yeah. are you making bets when you have terrible Playboy knowledge? <laughs> exactly. Why did I make that bet? Anyway. Well, that's um, your fault. I know. We need to pay up. <laughs> uh, well, we can, we can ask her that. Yeah. Uh, another great way to donate is, uh, hey, D, actually, why don't you take this one? Because you're pretty good at plugging purse at the end of the show. Tell them a little bit about how that works. All right. It's actually really easy. Uh, so we have a banner. On our webpage, on the landing page or the home page for you old head out there. And it's got the purse sticker on there. It says save 15%. If you click on that and then begin to do your shopping through purse as you would normally do, a little bit of that is going to get kicked back to us. So it's an affiliate program. Okay, so there's no cost to you. You just shop. You do what you do. But at the end of the day, we get a little kickback. Um, and, and it helps us with the show. Like it helps us get new stuff. We want new stuff. Uh, we want like basically it's like this money equals time. The more money we have, the more time we have to put towards you know giving you guys a great show. So if if you want to help us out, you could do all your shopping purse.io, but but go through our banner on our webpage. I know it's an extra step. Like you're like oh I just want to shop. I could just go to purse, but no. Go to the bitcoinpodcast.com first, click on the banner, then you're in purse, then do your shopping. I mean, on top of that, if you don't have a purse account and you shop on Amazon, you should just sign up through our banner. Then you never have to do that extra step. It's every every bit of shopping you do will always give us a kickback. Pretty much. If, you so if, you, if you're not on purse, you should be because you're probably already shopping on Amazon. Uh, mm-hmm. So go do that. Sign up through our banner and then... Help get us. your shit with purse. Get your, get your shit with purse. Get your shit with purse. <laughs> That's going to be the official. Sooner or later, it's going to be the official. Yeah, and just to give you an idea, like, that's the hardest thing is to get Bitcoiners to spend their Bitcoin, but, you know, it's part of this whole money thing, so you kind of have to a little bit. I was, I was shopping around last night, and I was like, just how good of a deal is it? So I went to Walmart.com. I looked at a PlayStation 4 with, like, a bundle. With a Call of Duty bundle. Duty. And it was like 
350 $400 somewhere in there and then when I went to purse.io it was $289 and I was like hot damn that's a big chunk of money so yeah <laughs> that is. I mean even if you don't want to spend your bitcoin just buy it with bitcoin through purse and then re-up yeah you just that way you're just saving money I mean, there's no if you're buying anything if you spend a lot of money on amazon mm-hmm. you're saving a ton of money by using those services mm-hmm. and we know the demographic most of you motherfuckers have money we know you guys all computer programming making the stacks shop on purse all right let's talk about bitcoin all right uh, you brought up uh you brought up miners is it is it too late for newcomers to join a mining operation and invest in a asic miner no and yes i wouldn't <laughs> i'm not gonna spend my money put your money i think and cross my fingers that i find a piece of a bitcoin you could uh, probably mine ethereum if you wanted to for now but that's that's in in an in and of itself uh a short-term thing to do because at some point ethereum will switch over to proof of stake so if you like ethereum you could do that for a little while maybe you got maybe another year year and a half yeah Mining is always like a a race. Like I remember getting so pissed off when we started our mining op, Cello, and it was kind of like a mining op with you too, Corey. And then we ordered all those video cards and they didn't come, so we got in the game like three weeks after, and the the difficulty went up. I was so so pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Litecoin, by the way, audience. We mined Litecoin, pretty pretty badass rig, but. Now, if you want to mine Bitcoin, don't. Just don't. <laughs> do, yourself, don't. <laughs> do yourself a favor. Get on Bit. If you want to earn Bitcoin, you want to have some. You can get paid in Bitcoin through BitWage. Go to BitWage and, and set that up. Uh, uh, great, great company. Um, and, and you could just get paid in Bitcoin if you want to, or go, grab a Coinbase account, or go to whatever random exchange. There's a lots of no, don't go to a random one. Go to like Kraken, or uh, Bitfinex, or uh, what's the other big guy? Bitfinex, Kraken, Bitstamp, Polo. Polo. Get yourself some Bitcoin through an exchange. If you're not comfortable with an exchange, just do Coinbase or Circle. Circle's a great app. Um, yeah, but to answer your question, Cello, if you're thinking about mining right now and you don't have millions of dollars sitting around and cheap electricity and somewhere to store all this stuff and people to maintain it, um, it's just going to be a hard go. It's it's just going to be a hard go for you. Sounds like a no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, from some, a few headlines I read. What's him a call? Mr. McAfee, Mr. Worst Antivirus Software Ever. Uh, he He's thinking about launching up a, a, a mining rig, a mining operation, sorry. And then another huge mining operation is sparking up in Washington. 10 petahash is what I read. So, yeah. I'm not going to go into how many zeros that is because there's that one dude out there who's making sure... I know how many zeros go to all. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Yeah. Out there. Ten. I'm just going to make him cringe real quick. A petahash is 10 to the 32nd power, guys. Oh, he's probably like, God damn it. 
no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but um, so so we got a huge mining op opening up in Washington. So finally, the Western Hemisphere is putting some mining ops back on the map, baby, and competing with old China. 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 <laughs> um, so, anyways, let's, let's talk about some other stuff. You guys are talking about other things? What you got? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a tough week for Ethereum, and uh, the Dow drama is ongoing. Ethereum Core announced a wallet vulnerability a few days ago. And then um, I, don't, I was telling Dimitri about this. Uh, Corey, there was a Japanese site that was promoting the DAO. And now if you go to their homepage, they updated it. You can go to the DAO.jp and take a look at that. And that pretty much everything you need to know about the DAO right now. Uh-huh. Mm, yeah, it's not looking too good for old Ethereum right now. Corey, have you been not tapped in? Good. Like, do you know what the dealio is with Ethereum? Uh, it looks like right now the current thing that's happening is all of the different Ethereum clients. Because you know, there's like four or five. I don't know exactly how many. Uh, it's like minor clients you can use, um, and based on the different languages languages that they're built with, they're all under development to implement a hard fork and create a uh, it's like a, a standardization of how the hard fork is going to work. So I guess specification or spec. Uh, and until that's essentially completely done and the source code that will be, that will replace the original DAO source code uh, has yet to be written yet either. So once that happens, then we'll know a lot more. But essentially everyone is implementing a lot of the preliminary hard fork codes uh, to kind of prepare for this source code change and discussion around that's happening, but not, not, not too much though. And then yeah. you have a lot of varying degrees of arguments, which are, which are, are not incredibly emotional. They, they, they're quite rational arguments on why people feel they should or should not fork. Um, I personally am on the fork side. You all know if you've listened to the show that we have, we have Dow tokens. So that definitely plays a role in mm-hmm. our, in our, I guess, Decision. I got a gaggle but of them. Overall, it's not it's not too much of a role in our decision. I don't think. No, not really, because we don't have that many. I mean, we have. I, I think I have a good amount for myself. What I, I consider percentage wise, if your total investment, it's not it's not a huge chunk of what we invest in cryptocurrencies. It's mm-hmm. more along the lines of like enough to play around with and to see how if if it would have been a good investment yeah. and. It would have given us a little bit of money, but not like, oh, shit, we're money now. Yeah, I don't think any, I think, I think Bitcoin would have to go to the moon for me to be like, oh, shit, I'm a money buckets, man. Like, if it, even if it just goes up, like, to $1,000, I'll be great, I'll be set, but not, nothing ridiculous. We're not getting rich, let's put it yeah, that way. Like, definitely not getting. Bitcoin are not going to make us rich. Definitely not. So, but, nevertheless. Yeah talking about an opportunity for banks i don't know if you guys read this or not but city group city bank you guys know it's got the little s-i-t-i-c-i-t-i with the little red like arch over yeah. the t yeah those guys big bank uh they had an article that came through coindesk um, 
and it said that they, they've claimed that Bitcoin is an opportunity for banks and not a threat, which is something that we know, obviously. But in a 56-page report, you can find quotes like, the power behind an open network like Bitcoin is the possibility of incorporating it with other technologies to bring about true innovation, such as applications that support the Internet of Things, ergo, machine-to-machine payments. Um, so basically what if if because i read a good amount of that paid that that report but not all 56 pages because fucking hell but <laughs> uh, what i can gather from the report is that like the banking industry is totally content with the way they run things now which is you know that's basic like if it ain't broken don't fix it and for right now for them it ain't broken when it comes to payments and things of that nature uh, but they, what it seems like they're leaning towards is Bitcoin is an opportunity for them to leech off of the unbanked and the underbanked. And, I mean, that sounds shitty, but it is what it oh, is. the way the world works. I mean, yeah. people make businesses to make money. Yep. If you're in the business of banking, then you'll make the money in the, any way you know how, which will be taking care, like taking advantage of people who don't quite understand finance. Yeah, you pay a premium on your ignorance. And so it looks, I think if I could put my Nostradamus hat on and look into my crystal ball, it looks as if the banking industry could be seriously considered using Bitcoin, uh, not just blockchain technologies, because that's bullshit. And we all know that's bullshit. I think anybody in Bitcoin knows they're playing around with blockchain until they finally figure out like, oh, I have to learn Bitcoin in order to be on an open network that everyone can see. I don't think I don't think a lot of people like to think that I think that at least Ethereum has gained quite a bit of ground in this scenario and it I've seen some things say like right currently right now Bitcoin is by far the best blockchain in terms of standing the test of time and having a network effect Ethereum has shown quite a bit of promise especially with the applications that could potentially be put forth and what's being currently built right now but since that hasn't been done yet but we've, we, we're seeing, we saw $150 million go into a single application and then it failed miserably because people don't know how to write these applications very well. But that's $150 million in, in like a week. Right? There ain't no Trump change. It's a basketball so, contract. <laughs> that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And especially in a cryptocurrency space, especially one for that's relatively considered, like considered relatively small. Now, that means that the other cryptocurrencies still have a chance in becoming the leading cryptocurrency because all of this is still young. And Bitcoin relative to other traditional finances is really small. So if traditional finances create something that's very, very close and then gets ridiculously massive adopt, massively adopted, it's going to overtake everything because there's so much more money in it. And yeah. so many people who don't understand this stuff will be using that. So it's, it's still too early to see but based on how everything works now bitcoin is the most secure most stable most the biggest network effect but who the fuck knows what's going to happen next year or this year or well, five years from now is, isn't this something that you always bring up that andreas talks about like the the bargaining of of the five phases of grief which is yeah. he kind of uses to model bitcoin disruption and isn't like the banking industry like the middleman the the rent sinking Etc. All the features that we can celebrate being X from like future financial models, like 
it, doesn't the energy cost of the main Bitcoin blockchain isn't that going to be irrelevant when we have the night the the Lightning Network, right? Mm, so are they talk are they talking to people who don't know what's going on here? Who's they? The banks? Citibank. Yeah. Not to mention that even if what they're saying is true, it fails to consider um, like energy production and distribution. I think it's you know kind of irrelevant. Like they've been promising. It, you know, internet is an opportunity for banks, not a, not a threat. Let's build something with it, and history will repeat itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you so you see it just like that, like the how first banks shown the internet, and then they were like, oh, we kind of got to use it, and now they're using it, and now it's going to be the same. I mean, we've said this a lot, and there's a lot of reoccurring themes, a lot of reoccurring happenstance with with Bitcoin and the or the the onset of Bitcoin and the onset of the internet. Um. But we'll see, like Corey says, like there's no telling, but I mean, in my opinion, I would want these agencies to use the public Bitcoin blockchain because it's the best. And after these upgrades, it's going to be Nasticus good. After the upgrades, we'll see how, how well it implements smart contracts. It, it could do a better job. It could do a much worse job. And that really depends on the availability of what you're able to, to contract with the implementation of smart contracts and the security in which these contracts are like have, like how, how, how easy are they to hack? How easy it is to program a smart contract that does exactly what you think it will do. And a lot of these things we just simply don't know yet. Fair enough. I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, with, with all that being said, all that commentary, should we should we hop into the interview? Yeah, yeah nice. this is cool because um, uh, Peter, uh, I don't I don't want to mess up his last name. Who wants to take a stab at it? <laughs> the, it's like the Peter Vanessa, Vanessa. Uh, I really like him because he's available for security contracting and smart contract development. So you can reach out to him directly if you know you have a problem with. Uh, you know your contracts or you need to upgrade your contracts asap he'll take a look at it um he's been in the space for a very very long time um i don't, I don't know he's just he's kind of an og of bitcoin and he was uh gracious yeah. enough to kind of come into our show and talk to us for a little bit about current events peter vesinez 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 yes i'm okay um, with that pronunciation he also said that uh, I th- I'm pretty sure yes this was the his interview that he's available uh to um I guess audit your your yeah, smart contracts. Available to audit smart contracts. He does a good job of really, I guess, in this sense, figuring out what your smart track, what your intent of your smart contract is supposed Whoa. to do, whether it does that, mm-hmm. and whether or not there's any vulnerabilities. Smart tracked. Smart tracked. Did you That's just a create a brand? I think I did. Smart tracked. TM. That's patented. Don't use it. Yep, we just bought it. It just happened. Uh, so pay us if you want to decide you want to use it. <laughs> smart tracked um yeah doing auto work on smart contracts so if you write a smart contract send it over to him probably with some money and then he'll audit it for you and then i'm sure there's a rate associated with that yeah he's not probably just nobody does anything there's no such thing as a free lunch okay i learned that senior economics class Nevertheless, let's get into the interview. Here it is. 
All right. So I guess first things first, uh, let's talk about what is on everyone's mind, and that's the DAO. And, and so you think the best thing to do would be to soft fork and shut down and return the funds and start over. But could you elaborate a bit on why and how this is the best approach since most people are clamoring for a hard fork fix for the DAO situation? Yeah, I think the. I mean, I, I wouldn't disagree with the hard fork. I, I think the hard fork, um, if you can, if you've only got one shot, you should hard fork. If you've only got one shot with miners, and I think probably you do only have one shot with them. And so, um, you know, I would, I would personally say, uh, I'd, I'd make, I detailed this proposal for a refund contract, um, uh, a couple days ago, I would make a refund contract that the community agrees is fair. And, um, I would ask for the hard fork to fund it and to defund everything having to do with the DAO and all the DAO token holders could be made whole. And that's that. <laughs> um, I think that I think that that's the simplest solution. Um, there are um, uh, there there are attacks on the DAO attacker that have a shot at getting all the coins back, um, but they're very fussy. You know, I mean, it's the kind of thing you shouldn't if you're if you're the DAO folks, if you're left Terrace and Co, you shouldn't be ignoring the possibility of recovering these funds but um uh certainly a fork would be, a hard fork would be the easiest so, you know soft fork um in some ways a soft fork's like more socially problematic i guess i don't know i don't know what do you think about that uh you know I, i'd like to see all the token holders made whole in the best way possible uh, i was under the understanding that was a hard fork to just kind of go back in time and reset everything and then send out everyone's tokens. I thought that was the best option. Um, and I thought soft forks were kind of risky because for what I understand from the Bitcoin world, a soft fork is just kind of like a, a software update and whoever's running the old software can, can still be, you know, a part of the network and participate. So you've got a lot of inconsistency and, and not a lot of consensus with a soft fork and so but I, I don't know the very particulars Corey tends to be our dow guy and he can yeah. make it because he's in brazil uh doing yep. his thing uh, yep. but, but um, magical i mean what's magical about a hard fork is you literally can just reach into the history and be like this contract has no money this contract has the money mm -hmm. and <clears throat> you know it simplifies a lot of things isn't that dangerous though because doesn't that kind of go directly against the i saw the little the meme going around where it was like, does do they hard fork and get all their money back and risk, you know, damaging what Ethereum means as a uh, immutable blockchain, or do they just let the DAO situation ride out and everybody loses their money, but Ethereum I, keeps its promise? I guess I don't know. I think the only people who think that so here's here's my proposal on that. If you really believe <clears throat> like gullible token buyers should not be somehow protected, then and, and, and because <clears throat> instead the integrity of the chain is the most important thing, you know, I think you're missing the point, which is like that these technologies are supposed to serve the needs of people and that um, like the rest of the world will not. The rest of the world will take away Ethereum is not safe. If you if you don't somehow get people their money back and 
it's it's to my mind it's really just like hardcore principle libertarians who who would argue we shouldn't do anything here mm-hmm. i um now the who we is is an interesting question i have some thoughts about that but but like fundamentally that that nobody should do something is i think just it's not a very humanist perspective it doesn't um like the humans that still to come that might interact with the ethereum blockchain and make it really valuable are not as likely to come if they know that they know that like everybody was like great let's just burn burn this down because you know i like my i like my code and and in fact like it's not even you're not even changing anything even a hard fork you're not changing anything miners have always been able to choose about hard forks that's just it's part of the consensus mechanism um so that kind of gets to my perspective which is about this which is that different peep groups should do different things. Like I think Ethereum core developers should stay out of this. Um, partly because they, the more they meddle and, and engage and get some influence to, to change things like this, the, the less legal safety they have. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they should just be pushing out code, doing their thing, what have you. Um, miners, miners are the ones <clears throat> like the, the reason that, blockchains enjoy the sort of regulatory freedom that they do is because miners choose and miners are distributed and this is something for miners to pick like that that's been the deal since 09 with blockchains miners choose and they're they're allowed to hard fork whatever the fuck they want if, if they want to uh if they want to bitcoin miners want to hard fork to 500 coins a block and the majority of miners want to do that they can do that um we may not call it bitcoin anymore Whatever, there will be a lot of complaining, but that's their that's their right and choice. It has been all along, and um, and I think that, you know the idea that like the community would talk about forking and discuss what to do, and that like mining mining pools would put up votes and the miners would engage is like is a sign of total health. I mean, it's completely healthy. Um, so I, I I just don't you know on the other hand like yeah Vitalik should not and hopefully cannot dictate what happens. I mean we, you he unless he's insane, should not want that power. He should want to be out of this. Um, That's true. Sometimes people try to thrust him in there, though. I've seen a lot of that. Yeah, and you just and that's where Vitalik needs a good lawyer and good advice just to be like, I'm sorry, you know what, this is regrettable. Ethereum will be <laughs> implementing some extra help for developers to stay safe and future versions of the virtual machine. And, you know... <laughs> We've always had a consensus mechanism for things like this, and and I w- and I hope that everybody votes their conscience, you know, or whatever, and and like, you know what I'm saying? Like that's really all I should say. Um, <laughs> well, Vitalik, if you're listening, I'm no lawyer, but I've been around the block. I could definitely give you advice. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, so when it comes to situations just like this, or you know, it's just such a muck up. It's bad on Ethereum. It's definitely a. I guess if you were a three year old, you'd call it a boo boo. But there's yep. definitely copycats, and, and it's inevitable for them to be around. And and when uh, offending malicious code is in the blockchain, so so public for all to deconstruct code is is kind of dangerous. And when there's malicious people hanging out in there, then they'll take advantage. That's what happened. So would you be surprised to see if there's any other attacks of a similar nature on smaller contracts within the next few months? Oh, um, no, I I wouldn't be surprised. And I think, um, you know, shortly after I published my, uh, it wasn't discovery. Other people had known, known about this at some level for decades. And certainly that was an issue in Ethereum already. But when I published kind of my, my digging into it and why I was worried about it, 
Um, another DAO uh, contacted me the next day and said that they attacked their own contracts and saved $90,000 of customer deposits. Thank you very much. So that, you know, it's not just a DAO thing. Um, any contract that's letting users engage with withdrawals in any way, you have some things to worry about. And part of the problem, you know, part of there are a number of problems, but one of them is that the fundamental documentation is kind of old. It doesn't include a lot of best practices. It's a lot of work to get that documentation upgraded. Developers that are learning are not learning. You know, they they need to learn to be much more defensive in terms of how they program. Mm-hmm. Most contracts don't have an upgrade mechanism. They don't have a pause mechanism. Um, these are just basic things we want. And, and not always. Like, you know, if you want to publish a smart contract that runs your assassination market, you know, it's got to run on its own or what have you. Um but like for the for the vast majority of legal and good uses, you need upgradability. You need you need the ability to like, um, you know, push the big red button for a little bit in case bad things are happen happening. And um, you know, I hope that all DAOs and other groups sort of take that to heart and, and kind of think through how they want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, what could be a takeaway from this? I mean, this bug is a confluence of bad programming habits, isn't it? It is, but so, so you know, the way I think, are you, are you a coder? I'm not a coder. I'm a very beginning coder. Uh, Corey's a coder. Uh, Marcello codes a little bit too. Uh, I myself do all of the tutorials on Code Academy. That's what okay. <laughs> so, you know, when, okay. So, so no, that's fine. So, so there's a, there's a couple things. Like one is when you're learning to code, you're really just copying, right? Great. I mean, and that's it. That's okay. That's how you learn. And you kind of learn that you start to make some small modifications and see what happens. Right. So, so one thing you want is if for beginning coders who let's just be honest, probably shouldn't be publishing smart contracts that deal with more than, you know, a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but for beginning coders, you want them to have kind of like a safe and sound framework to play with. And even if they don't understand why all this stuff that looks extraneous to them is in there, like over time, they'll leave it in because they're copying, and, and over time, they'll they'll come to understand some of the benefits. So that, that's one one angle. I think at a at a higher level, and this is a problem for every smart contract. Um, uh, this is a problem for every smart contract group, um, or anyone putting out a proposal or thinking about it. Is that you want the language to like make it easy for developers to do the right thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and hard or awkward for it to do the wrong thing. And when developers are used to a certain way of doing things by default, you want that to be the right thing. So if so let's drill it back to this this bug. The the bug is essentially that most like if, if you ever send money to someone it's possible that they will be able to call any other function in any other contract, including yours, uh, before that send completes. Uh, that is like such a weird thing for a Bitcoiner to think about because we don't do things that way. We don't have smart, smart contracts. We just emit a signed, signed statement that money's moved. Fine. But, but so that's called rea- So what that means is that your functions all need to be resistant to being called like a hundred times by someone with a bad nested by someone with a bad plan. And that's not something you learn when you're starting to program. 
like you don't learn to think about that. It's called reentrancy. Um, uh, and you know, I, I would propose the languages need to make like the, to, my proposal would be that by default, your function should not allow recursive calls. Um, and you've got to sort of decorate them or say, yeah, I'm going to be called recursively. That's okay. So, so, you know, that would, that would let developers plugging along, not thinking about this, be able to continue to by and large, not think about it. Um, and I think that, you know, you need along with documentation, you need that kind of help as well. Yeah. That there just needs to be a little bit more of a fail safe. Yeah. That's, that's what I kind of like about, I guess, failures. You could call them is that there are opportunities to learn and opportunities to grow. And uh, this is definitely that kind of situation for Ethereum. And oh, for sure. uh, it, it seems to be being handled pretty well. So, but there's a different notion going around that, you know, a proper hierarchy, you know, based on reputation uh, can accomplish anything. And, and so, so why do you think that Satoshi made consensus so difficult? And, you know, Bitcoin works because the rules are hard coded, you know, almost impossible to change. We've seen that. Is that a problem going into the future of cryptocurrency? That things are so hard to change? Yeah, I mean, what do you mean by things? Um, like the consensus itself is so hard to attain, I guess. So I mean, I guess Bitcoin consensus is um, is just about mining. So, well, let me restate a question and see if it's what you what you want to talk about. Um, like. You know, are you asking, does Bitcoin have kind of the right pace of change and innovation, which is obviously much slower than Ethereum, or, or, or should it change? Is that is that your question? Pretty much. It's I what I'm what I'm guessing. I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, is eventually Ethereum wants to move to proof of stake, and you know that's really kind of unproven in comparison mm -hmm. to proof of work. Proof of work do a lot more work, a lot more energy, and and it's a lot more. I think it's a right now it's a proven consensus system i think so, we could we could definitely say that it's proven yeah for sure do, proof of work so, so I, I guess i'm saying compare and contrast proof of work with with proof of stake and proof of stake i guess i don't want to say uh, usurp proof of work but can it stand a chance um is can proof of stake work <laughs> um i so if you could, okay, so here, here's what I think about this. Mining is not the best. It is better than alternatives that we have right now, right? So things that, things that mining does really, really well um, is it ensures consensus. Uh, it um, has this really wonderful property where you can reason about the financial costs of an attack because you know about how much mining equipment costs. Um, so far, because mining has, well, I mean, mining has had some returns, not Bitcoin on Bitcoin returns, but dollar on dollar returns for people. Um, because of that, you know, miners, like you have kind of like a natural propensity for miners to get in. And so the, the costs of subverting the network have gone way up. Like when I started in Bitcoin, it probably was like, 50 or a hundred bucks to fork the blockchain. <laughs> it was not expensive. Um, and so, you know, you, you want to send 20 bucks. It's okay. You just send 20 bucks. You want to send like a thousand, you got to wait 
a, a while. And, you know, nowadays those numbers are up in the, in the millions, right? So, um, and, the, and the reason for that is only that it would be very expensive to get more mining to, to attack. It wouldn't be worth it. So, like, I, I think that's a really often misunderstood part of proof of work is that you have these, you have these economic arguments that are pretty strong. I mean, um, proof of stake. Okay. So, so what's bad about proof of work is, um, it forces a race to very small geometry, very expensive silicon projects. And that tends to, that tends to centralize control of mining. Um, you know, anybody who's kind of like first at a new process node can do really well. <clears throat> and we saw that in Bitcoin from like CPU to GPU to um, 110 nanometer, A6 to 65. And then and then we did like the silicon industry, like in, in fast forward where we went like 110 nanometer to 28 nanometer in like 13 months or something. And, <laughs> and that's like eight or eight to 10 years of research and development of billions of dollars of research and development in silicon all like, bloop. Um, and, and, um, and now you've got like, I think, um, I mean a 16 nanometer chip project that would cost at least to get a single part out the door probably cost seven to $10 million these days. So that's just to, that's just like, that's just like money you're sinking into a, a big pit before you can start buying your mining equipment. Right. So, so like when we think, when we talk about like, is it worth subverting the blockchain? Uh, you know, you're thinking about all those numbers and, so, so that's so that so that's good. Um, what, what I was going to say is obviously like it, the centralization angle on mining is there. It's not as decentralized as we would like, or as I would like at least, and um, it burns just a ton of energy, and that's that's not great. That's not green. Um, so I think, to my mind, like proof of stakes so appealing if you could solve those things. Um, but so far, I haven't seen I haven't seen a proposal that gets you anywhere near so i haven't seen a proof of stake proposal that is definitely leads to more decentralization than mining which is not very decentralized these days and i haven't seen one that has nearly the same economic bound bounding uh benefits um so we've you can i have seen some proposals that claim you like on a block by block basis that people who stake uh, on on the consensus or on the block can't make more than they put into the block, but that's only about block rewards. So, um, like here's a simple attack. I think proof of stake mechanisms should all should all be re- resilient to. You have a c- online casino, and the the casino um, does. It does not rely on a block hash to give you random numbers, but um, you can mine casino transactions in or out. Okay, if does that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if your proof of stake mechanism can't protect betters from uh, someone who staked a lot going and betting at a casino and then double spending if they don't like the results from the casino, then I don't think it's very good. I don't. Um, I think. I think we 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 generally can reason about that with proof of work right now. So anyway, it's kind of a long answer. I, I it's one of my, I, I've been trying to spend more time on proof of stake because I think if it could work, it would be great, but, but I'm not, I'm not convinced right now. I'm not convinced. Yeah. We, we had one guest on the show that said it really simple. He was, he said, if it moves to proof of stake, I don't trust any of those guys that have more stake in the, in the network that I do. 
I, and I was like, oh, I guess that's really simplifying it, but sometimes simple's the best. I mean, it's it's that's fundamentally it is a question of like, do you really want like it? It seems fundamentally to be aggregating power and influence for those who have more money, and that, and that seems like probably the wrong thing to do. Um, I mean, if if you think about it, like why do we even have mining? It's because you can Sybil attack a like simple voting mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why mining exists. Cause otherwise you could, you know, D could be like 500 people being like, yeah, that transaction's fine. So, so like it would be great if like every participant, however we define that mm-hmm. gets like a, 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 you know, one vote, if it were like the Senate, you know, not the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think, I don't think people know how to do that right now. Well, we'll see how it grows. I know that's what, Ethereum wants to move to, but to keep it economical, because you did notice some some economic traits, and it's it's almost impossible to talk about cryptocurrency and not get in that that area. Are you still in favor that that volatility is a worse evil than being deflationary? Uh, I mean, most government economists or fiat-based economists with uh, wish an inflationary currency, you know, could be built using blockchain technology. Do you still think there's a place in the world for deflationary value systems? I mean, even Bitcoin's not really deflationary. It just inflates very slowly. <laughs> yeah, super slow. Um, um, sometimes. And, sometimes. And less and less quickly over time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I'm not a guest of yours that's going to have a lot of useful opinions on this. I think I will say that um, shoot, shoot from the cuff, then. <laughs> Give us your gut response. <laughs> Got to get in the swing of things with the Bitcoin podcast. We're we're ready. <laughs> so the the thing is this: probably the reason, you know, Bitcoin probably got uptake because of its get in early pitch. I, th- I think that's almost certain. Um, you know, there's nothing stopping anyone from having a blockchain with a different issuance mechanism. So if, if that's good somehow for the world, like, you know, I don't know why we wouldn't see such a thing. I think, you know, one of the things libertarians object to is like, say there's something that macroeconomists say is good for the world and governments enforce, but it's like not good for any one individual person, right? Like if the, you know, libertarians hate that. And, um, you know, but on the other hand, hey, you know what? Money systems may be something where the Nash equilibrium, meaning like if we all did our own thing, we all pick deflationary currencies, which, you know, may leave like grandchildren in poverty and like only the founders, only the very, the first and founders are ultra, ultra wealthy and everybody else is like a, is like a slave because there's just no money supply in a hundred years. So like all the early founders love that, but that may not be best for everybody. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, on the other hand, like, once all these early founders get in and have their money, they work really, really hard to maintain that situation. I, you know, I will say like one thing that to me is troubling about Bitcoin is there have almost never been investments in Bitcoin. Like there've almost never been in industry investments that paid better than holding coins. And if you were like thinking about constructing an ecosystem that was going to innovate a lot, that is not a property you want. <laughs> right. You 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 would you know like, um, and actually like the and the U.S. has a history about this too, like around gold, like getting off gold. 
um, like, um, you know, Rockefeller, all these early guys like held a lot of gold. And um, what's great if you're rich about holding gold in that era is, is like if there's no good invest, like gold itself had some return because it had similar similar dynamics, like population growth is going up more than gold supply. So um, like you could just sit on your money and do nothing. And um, like you really had to see something really juicy to, to, to get out of gold and go do it. And, and um, Bitcoin has, has exactly that dynamic. And, and large investors hated getting moved off that, hated it. They, they, because like, it's so comfortable. It's so, so comfortable and easy. But on the other hand, like, can we really say like, it's not better for all that money to go out into investments and growth and jobs and stuff? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's kind of a stretch. Um, so anyway, but we have what we have and it, it's not bad, um, but it may not be optimal. I think there's room for both. In my opinion, I think Bitcoin exists in the world, just like gold exists now. You know, not a lot of people take gold, though. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I've never been into like a, a beyond a British Petroleum gas station, and I was like, "Hey, do you take any gold?" You take gold. I've got you know, you, you could go to Porkfest. They take gold at Porkfest. <laughs> <laughs> they take all. They take everything at Porkfest, except maybe dollars. I mean, they'll take them, but they don't want them. <laughs> and I, I think that's where Bitcoin is just a little bit different than gold, though. Is that at the end of the day. Uh, with enough development in the space, I could walk into a gas station and say, hey, do you guys take Bitcoin? And they're like, oh, yeah, just scan the co- QR code. It's going to pop up on my little thingy there. And you scan the QR code and then boom. So that's, yeah, that's the little difference. The, the utili- I guess the utility of Bitcoin is a little bit more uh, versatile. But uh, nevertheless. Uh, it is. Uh, and, and also, you know, like you do this podcast, presumably for a variety of economic and financial reasons. And like, you can hold Bitcoin, popularize good things about Bitcoin, and presumably reap some financial benefit for doing so. So it's not, you know, it's just it's a little bit of a different system than maybe a government wants, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we just have one last question. It tends to be our toughest question. I'm sure you'll knock it out of the ballpark, though. Uh, in 10 words or less, can you describe Ethereum? Smart contracts on a blockchain. By a, by a Toronto grad student. Am I under 10? You are. You're under yes. 10. Good job. Yes. You knocked it out of the ballpark. You <laughs> will get uh, some sort of, I don't know, maybe a Tootsie Roll Pop or something in the mail. <laughs> no, I, want a, I want a t-shirt. You want a t-shirt? <laughs> oh, oh, no. We got to get those t-shirts made up then. Uh, well, thank you very much, Peter, for stopping by. Um, it was a pleasure hearing your opinions on these things and maybe providing some clarity for our listeners who haven't uh, understood exactly what has happened with the Dow, exactly, you know, how proof of stake, you know, differs from proof of work. But we were able to get a lot talked about here. D, you know, I had such a fun time. And have me back. We'll keep digging in if you want. Awesome. I'd like to have you back when all three of us can be. Because an interview with all three of us tends to be, you know, really fun. And we can really dig in. And we all offer different opinions that we can ask questions from. No, yeah, totally. So definitely like to have an open invitation but as of right now thank you very much for stopping by and, yeah uh, pleasure have a good day thanks you too D. and that was the interview with uh peter Vesines. 
uh, amazing character doing amazing things. Not a character. That makes him seem like he's not important. But You're such a little character. He's an amazing guy. No. Well, <laughs> very, very interesting conversation he and I had. Um, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. We're going to move back into talking about Bitcoin things. Honestly, I feel like we've been neglecting Bitcoin. And, and we try to talk about it, but it's, it's kind of like there was so much going on in Ethereum that we kind of were sucked into it. But Bitcoin's still doing its thing. I don't know. I think right now, based on current like current current events, the DAO stuff is almost the, mo- the most important thing that's going on right now. It's so hot right now. It's, it's, it's damn Hansel. <laughs> uh, because how smart contracts are treated legally, um, what, how Ethereum bounces back from this and how people view this type of thing in a broad perspective. A lot of this plays a role in a lot of these you know, ancillary things of the cryptocurrency, in cryptocurrency space. And this is the most important in keeping track of what's going on and, and, and how this work, works and turns out is, in my opinion, the most important thing to track and talk about right now. I think so, too. I just don't want, man, I watched a lot of the Matrix. I watched a lot of Animatrix a lot of times. And I'm just scared that a machine to machine economy is going to lead to them using us as batteries. No, that's why they have the, that's why they have the law of robotics. What is the law of robotics? You don't remember uh, iRobot? iRobot. Like a robot can never harm a human. A robot always has to provide yeah, like an optimal. I robot. Wait a second. No, it, a robot must obey the orders given by the human being, except where such orders would conflict with the first law, which is they can't injure a human. And then a robot must protect its own existence. If those three laws are in place, then there'll never be a, like an overthrow or a takeover. Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. Because we all know AI is going to control the future. So even yeah. back then, they knew that. Coming. The singularity where we have, an, we have an option, eradicate all robots or become one with the robots. Is that what you're talking about? No, the singularity is when you first create the first AI oh. that can then reproduce itself and make itself better. So if it can write its own code and make itself better, then you've essentially hit the singularity because at that point it'll take off and we don't know what's on the other side of that. So many movies I need to watch to prepare myself. That's not a movie. That's just general artificial intelligence theory. There's the Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams. That's That's a a classic. Yep. There's also the Iron Giant with Vin Diesel as as the Iron Giant. So... You guys should read a book. No, no, no. Why read a book when you have a moving <laughs> picture film? I actually am reading a book right now called City of Bones. Nevertheless, let's talk about Abra. It's an app. It's a remittance app. If you guys don't know where remittance is, grab a dictionary. Psych, I'll tell you. It's when remittance. you work. Huh? Remittance. Remittance. That's right. We're changing the game. The word's not remittance anymore. It's remittance. And it's when you work in a country and you send some bitcoin to another country most likely to your family or the mafia because you do illegal things psych i'm kidding 
maybe it's, it's probably not the mafia. You're sending it back to your uh, abuelita. Uh, that is grandmama, for those of you that don't know. And, um, yeah, so you work, get your money, then you send it overseas. That's remittance. Remittance is a big deal, obviously, because everything is being globalized. Um, no ID is necessary and no paperwork needs to be filled out because it's peer to peer. So can I just take your phone and just like you use the restroom and I pick up your phone and be like, send a hundred dollars to Marcello. All right. So why is this different than just using Bitcoin? It is using Bitcoin. Okay. Well, why don't I just use Bitcoin? Why do we need an app for this? Because wait, what? This is an app, man. It's an app to send money overseas. So it's a wallet. Yeah. Okay. What's why is Abra better than any other wallet? It's pretty. That's for one. So is Airbase. Um, so is Coinbase. I mean, it's just an. It's, it's an. I mean, obviously, you can just use Bitcoin. You could have your family get a blockchain dot info wallet, or a Circle wallet, or anything of that what's nature. The, what's That's the fee, though? Absolutely true. Let's sit down in here. Let's look at what the fee is. I don't know. I have to go to their website. That's going to determine a lot if people use it. I think that is is does it help you turn your money back into your because okay so I I I live in Brazil. People who listen to the show already know that. And yeah, I can send Bitcoin overseas. That's really really easy. That's not a problem. That's great, handy. The only issue that I have is that I have Brazilian reals. Mm-hmm. I want to turn that into U.S. dollars, or I have a Brazilian bank account, and I want to, to put that into my American bank account. How do I do that with Bitcoin? I'm going to have to make a conversion of some sort. I need to go from reals to Bitcoin, and then I need to go from Bitcoin to let's get U.S. dollar. Let's do this. Let's get down to the brass and right? tax. Let's so get down that's to- where the problem is. That's yeah. where all of the problem is. Let's... Let's get down to the peas and carrots, the black-eyed peas, gentlemen. All right, let's get down to the kale, saute kale, fees. I'm on the fees page. Uh, Abra's peer-to-peer model cuts out a lot of the middlemen, not all, but a lot of them, (laughs) that many other payment systems have to use. So sending money with Abra doesn't cost a lot. Sometimes it's completely free. Sometimes it's completely free. So they're 100% transparent about their fees. So let's see these this fee structure real quick. Adding funds. Adding funds via bank account is free. When you add funds using cash at an Abra teller, the teller charges a small service fee. Tellers set their own fees, which are visible within the Abra app. So you always know how much you're going to pay. Oh, so they're kind of like Ubering. That's sneaky because I do know that if you are an Abra teller, like an Uber driver, then you can set your own fees. So essentially, it's it's making people become banks. Yeah, and so like say if you if everyone this this requires everyone in your country to also use Abra and accept the crypto or like the the local fiat, right? Mm-hmm. So the, here's a I guess an example is say I want to send money to America and I want to turn uh, my reals to U.S. dollars. I need to deposit money in reals to the Bitcoin on my Abra app and then send it to 
someone else, someone, some other account, some other Abra account in U.S. Mm-hmm. They receive that money and then they just go to a Abra teller, which then gives them U.S. dollars. I don't mm-hmm. know how that person. That's going to have to be a competitive fee between the tellers, to- though. Because if you know Johnny down the street's fees are like 25%, you're like, fuck you, Johnny. You already have a nice car. And then, you know, Sally over down the street has like a 1% fee. Then you're definitely going to go to Sally. And then Johnny's going to bring his percent down because he's like, I'm not missing out on all that cold, hard cash. They're going to have to beat the exchanges and, and like people like Coinbase. Yeah, man, it's more it adds, introduces more competition into the system. But from what I read, adding funds be, via via a bank account is free. Adding funds via a teller is a fee dependent upon the teller. So if you got a bank account, that's free. Okay, but you got, but then you have to take the Bitcoin and put it into the currency that you want. Yep, and okay, that that's costs. not free. That's, that's not never free. going to be free. That's the teller. Or you could just tell the Why store to take Bitcoin and say, stop fucking around. At some point, there's you won't need to do this. But there's more fees. Just use Bitcoin. Should we go, let's go into the other fees. Okay. That's adding funds. Here's sending. There's no fee to send ever, no matter where. So if you got $500 in your Abra wallet, you can send it all to one person or send $50 each to 10 people. It's your money. We want you to send it to whomever you like without worrying about minimum sending limits. I'm obviously reading this off their webpage. But. And then we have foreign exchange. When you send money from one currency to another, we'll set the foreign exchange rate. Our rates are the best in the business. Um, boo. Sorry, Abra. Our rates are the best in the business and are clearly visible to you before you send money. So everybody else does that, too. Okay. <laughs> well, if they want to be a sponsor of the show, we'll, they, are, they will be the best in the business. We'll tell people that every week. Every single week. <laughs> so we will sell out our souls immediately. Withdrawing funds. Abra doesn't charge anything to withdraw funds to a bank account. When you withdraw funds in cash at an Abra teller, the teller charges a small service fee. They set their own fees. Okay, so it is a it is a like little twist. I guess they're trying to Uber things a little bit by letting individuals be tellers and kind of like banks, but mm, that's gonna have to go really smoothly if they want that to play out well. I think. Um, and this foreign exchange rate here, get the f- our rates are the best in the biz. Wink, wink. <laughs> Anyways. Moving on. So Abra opened up in the U.S. and that was a big deal. That was a long Abra. Yeah. That was a long plug for Abra. But should we, I think, I don't know if there's time in this episode, but we should dive into the upgrades that are on the docket for Bitcoin, the segregated witness and the block size increase and Lightning Network. Let's dive into that at a different time because I'm not up to date on it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dive into that at a different time, but I guess to give you guys the bullet notes, a block size increase is obvious. They take the block size and they increase it. More transactions can fit in. Segregated witness cleans up how those transactions are uh, propagated throughout the network. So then more transactions can fit in. And I'm using like very layman terms. And then the lightning network is like, oof, how can I layman this out? 
How can we layman out the Lightning Network, Corey? Lightning Network allows you to start with, it essentially turns Bitcoin, it adds another layer on top of Bitcoin that makes Bitcoin a proof of stake instead of a proof of work. And because you, you're doing it, this allows you to drastically increase the number of transactions that you can do in a given second. So currently you can do like, what, seven transactions a second with Bitcoin mm-hmm. on the entire network. Uh, this allows it to essentially scale, theoretically scale to whatever you want. There's no limit. There's no upper bound, which is crazy to go from seven transactions. That's what it's good old. My grandma told me some good things. If it doesn't pass the smell test, you got to give it more time. And to go from seven transactions per second to infinity transactions per second is like, or sorry, approaching infinity, uh, is like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I kind of want to wait. I mean, I'm excited if it's true and if everything works great and, and Bitcoin becomes this interplanetary transfer system where people on Mars are doing business with people on Earth, on the Earth, excuse me. And everything's great, but I don't know. That's all I'm saying. I don't know. But also the thing that it does, Corey, is you can actually suspend your own Bitcoin that you own. And you actually cut a little bit off. So it kind of makes Bitcoin owners middlemen in that That's the proof of stake aspect of it. Yeah. So like if I suspend my one of my Bitcoin and like... I don't know, five to 10,000 transactions go through it in that day. Then I skim a little bit of those transactions off the top. Then I propagate that on down to the Bitcoin blockchain and boom, everything's verified. And I made a little money off of my money. This is the concept of of, uh, payment channels. So by essentially staking that you have one, it's almost like escrow in a sense, uh, by putting a certain amount of money online and locking into a certain contract, you then allow people to pay other people through you. So they'll give you a little bit of money because you have, you have a payment channel open with someone else. If they don't have a direct channel, they'll just go through you. And in the process of going through you, you take a tiny fraction off the top of that. So you get paid for essentially putting your money and allowing people to go through you. This is a very general high-level overview of what this is, but that's that's the general idea of what's, what all, how all this is. And so the more people who have money put up to allow others to go through them, they can essentially become network hubs of um, payment channels. So you can just go through this one person or two people or three people to get to the payment you want to get to. And you don't need to go to, go to the blockchain for this. So you're not actually mm-hmm. really going to the blockchain but you know if, if you are linked to the block if the payment hub is linked to the blockchain then the security goes through it as well i think it'd be cool if like different channels become like main channels with like sub channels so you know if, if it were in the u.s you could use like n- the north channel the south channel the northeast northwest channel you know the transactions it's it's like a proven uh payment channel you know, like I, that's what I imagine. That's what I envision in my brains. But nevertheless, yeah, I know about that. Uh, no, you just think there's going to be lots of little tiny ones. Well, tiny, not so much. There will be there will be central hubs of people who have a ton of Bitcoin. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of big holders, and there's no reason they shouldn't. If they're not, if they're just holding, there's no reason why they shouldn't become a payment channel. Yeah. Yeah. True that. 
Okay. Well, last thing to talk about, China is making Bitcoin turn to people's rights money, whatever the hell that means. I don't know what that means, but I think it means it's protected by <laughs> the government if somebody steals your Bitcoin. We talked about it in the last episode, but it's looking more real now. So, all right. Well, um, if we don't have anything else to talk about, do, or, or do we have anything else to talk about? No. Not, nothing? Corey, you got no doubt? Wrap you, it up. You've not been going balls deep in the Dow? No, I've been doing a lot of work. Uh, we have, uh, for those who don't scour our website regularly, uh, I've we've put up a statistics page under our, like, what is it, resources and news? Resources and info. Resources and info tab on the main page. You can go look at um, how we've grown since we've started, where our downloaders are coming from across the globe. I mean, we get about 54% of our downloading of our listeners are from the United States. The rest is spread out across the globe. So hell yeah, Australia, you're really coming in on you. Uh, so you can tell, you know, you can see where you, where, where your country stands amongst the rest of us. For those who are listening, you can see how our downloads have grown over the past. Uh, we're, we're doing really good. And this, this growth keeps coming. So thanks guys for listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Also, it's a little bit wonky on the page, but you have to if you're if you're on a if you're on a desktop, you have to hover your mouse over resources and info, and then you'll see Q and A and statistics pop down. Okay, if you click that's on resources, huh? That's not wonky. That's a drop down menu. Yeah, but if you click on resources and info and you get on the resources and info page, there's no nowhere else to click to get to Q and A and statistics. We'll talk about this later. And make it nice yeah, that's a design thing. Fun. We'll talk about that later. But it's on the web page. Hover over resources and info, and then we've got statistics there, and you can look at it. And it's it's really cool to see how we've grown, where we're going, like Corey said. So, um, and we also have a news page, which is badass. Yeah, I'm, I, so, I like our news page. Yeah, man, it's cool. We're going to add more feeds on there, Reddit. too. <laughs> huh? I actually prefer it over Reddit. Yeah, I, me too. It's it's Reddit is such a just where my money. Oh, it's my transaction stuck because I don't know how to fucking add a fee. Mer and just like so much bitchy wine. Ooh, the block size. Mer oh, and a lot of Andreas ball washing goes on, which I was guilty of at one point. Nevertheless, um, BitcoinPodcast.com. That's our webpage. Go to it. We have a newsletter. Sign up for it. We have a Twitter. Tweet it at the BTC Podcast. Um, we also do other things. We have a blog on Medium where Corey writes amazing articles and really breaks down uh, really technical aspects of the Dow so far. And I think he's a smart guy. Yes, that is true. Corey is smart. You'll never hear anybody say he's dumb. Uh, yeah, except for maybe himself. Except for maybe and and you, maybe you and Aaron call you dumb. Uh, I do dumb things, but I'm not dumb. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> also, I write little fluff micro blogs from time to time, just on like I don't know, I don't know what you call them, but it's nothing technical. It's just little writing, little musings on the Bitcoin on on Bitcoin. Social Bitcoin. aspects of Bitcoin. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, nothing, nothing heavy. Um, what else do we do? Um, Facebook. Yeah, we're, we're on Facebook. Just search for the Bitcoin podcast on Facebook. You'll see us. 
um, you'll see our faces and then you can like it the page and then our the stuff that we do will start showing up on your news feed and uh, we're not spammy at all so you know when we when we do show up on your news feed uh, you better click that shit because it's important all right so anything else oh. did I leave anything off Nah. I did leave no. the affiliate program. The affiliate we program. We already talked about that. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's right. Okay, guys. Um, does anybody want to say it? Or Happy Fourth of July, everybody. Yeah, for us in the states here, we celebrate our independence from the British. Original Brexit. Yep. <laughs> We're OGs in the Brexit game. Okay, nevertheless, uh, play.